2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to start reading at verse 14. Got it? 2 Timothy 3.14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we saw that last time and we said, knowing Jesus is the purpose of the Bible. That's what it's about making you wise to live lives through Jesus, saved from sin and death through Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture, say all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness that the man of God, I'm assuming this is gender-inclusive language, on you know, that the godly person may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Can you pull me back just slightly so I can yell more without hurting anyone? All Scripture is God-breathed. One time... I was at this church, and the dude was preaching straight through Romans, verse by verse through Romans. And he got to the end of Romans, and the end of Romans is just a bunch of like, tell so-and-so I said hi, tell so-and-so hi, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so and and them, hey, and say hi to them, hey, and say hi to those guys. And I was like, how's he going to preach this? You know what I mean? How do you preach that? Oh, my word, you guys. It was so dang anointed. It was crazy. He was pulling all sorts of stuff out of the meanings of people's names and out of the backstories. And, and before he did it, he said, I know this is a weird text, but what does the Bible say? Thank you so much, man. All scripture is breathed out by God and useful. It's not just God said it. It's practical. It's helpful. It's useful. A lot of people think the Bible's true, but they don't seem to think it's useful because it's not the place they turn when they need help. You know, Christians thumping on the Bible and demanding that other people admit that it's the word of God while it's collecting dust on their own shelf. Right? We believe it's true, but do we believe it's useful? Do we believe it's helpful? Do we believe that's where the wisdom is found? Was I stressing you guys out not not drinking this, just holding it? (laughs) Yeah, because of the last time when I... Bunny encouraged me. She's like, drink the whole thing right away. Do it now. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Then I like choked on it and fell down. It's not just true. It's not just God said it. It's useful. It's helpful. It's practical. When you're stuck in life, the Bible has the light for your path. The Bible. I know. The Bible. Even the word Bible nowadays, I think, triggers people. I was talking with a young lady, and she basically said, uh, I pretty much hate the Bible. It tells me that my lifestyle is sinful, and uh, I hate that. So I don't, wanna, I don't want anything to do with it. Also, also, the Bible makes really judgmental people. I listened for a while, and then I said, did you know that literally the best people that I have encountered on planet Earth have been a byproduct of this book? 
the most kind, the most wise, the most powerful, the most victorious, the most hopeful, the most forgiving, the most free from sin, have been a byproduct of dwelling in the truths they discovered in their walk with God in this book. Like your walk will not rise beyond the level of your faith. And your faith has to be rooted in something that is less than from what you is and more what you is. We got words in here. God said it. Gives me confidence in it. To say that something is biblical is to say that it is true. To say that something is not biblical is to say that it is not true. We have a generation that hates the Bible, which is because they don't want to hear that they need to change. Listen, I love to hear how I need to change. I love being convicted of my sin because it always means I'm getting an upgrade. Always. It always means I'm going to get more free, more peaceful, more joyful, less triggered, less miserable, less resentful, less foolish. Like, I, I, like some people, they love feeling God's love, but they don't want to feel God's conviction. Friends, he, it says in Hebrews 12 that he disciplines everyone he accepts as a child. And so when you are being disciplined, don't get offended. Don't take offense when you're going through something hard that's revealing something that's wrong in your life that needs to change. God is loving you as a child. Every good parent tells their children no and disciplines them. Only a horrible parent will just give their kid candy and let them go to bed whenever they want. A good parent will discipline you for your own good for a little while and it will be unpleasurable, but in the end it will form character in you that will serve you the rest of your days. And that's how the Father in heaven is, except for he's different from our earthly parents, says the book of Hebrews, in that they promised us, they promised us, they disciplined as they saw fit, and oftentimes they were wrong. But God actually disciplines us completely out of love, never out of annoyance. You know what I mean? I remember growing up and parents would say things like, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Now that I'm a parent, I know that's not true. I'm going to hurt you because you've upset me is more likely half the time. But God's never that way. You've annoyed and and inconvenienced and offended me, so now I'm going to discipline you. I'm usually too lazy to deal with you, but now you've got me so upset that I'm finally going to deal with you. That's human parenting. That's not divine parenting. He never disciplines you because he's fed up. He disciplines you because he believes in your ability to walk in the kingdom. Okay, that was a little side note. God breathed. Yes, it was written by the human authors. Their personalities are in the book. You notice this? Their perspectives are in the book. Their vocabulary is in the book. But it's not just them. God carried them. David wrote poems, wrote songs. Paul wrote emails. We call them epistles. Do you think David knew while he was writing the songs? That it wasn't just him? I doubt it. Do you think Paul knew when he was writing letters that he was writing Bible? I doubt it. But it was just so helpful and so useful and the whole church ended up deciding, you know what? This wasn't just Paul. This was wisdom God gave Paul. We should keep this. We should copy this. We should spread this around. 
So Paul's in it. God didn't control Paul. He didn't take over Paul. I am now writing via Holy Spirit. Oh, my word, I can't stop my hand. That's not how it went. No, he struggled with what word do I use next? It didn't feel like God. It felt like Paul writing it. Who knows what I'm talking about? So, so now that we also are led by the same Spirit, is it going to feel like God just takes over and you go on autopilot and then you're godly? No, of course not. No, it's about you knowing how to die to the things that aren't God and do the hard work of submitting to the parts of you that are being led by God. That's not effortless. Let me talk about the Bible for a minute, quoting my friend John Wesley. It's good to quote dead people. You know? It is. Too many living morons writing and publishing books and people caring too much. You know? They haven't finished well yet. How do I know if I even trust that guy yet? Give it a couple hundred years to see. John Wesley, 1703 to 1791. He said, I'm a creature of, a, of the day, and I pass through life like an arrow through the air. In other words, I'm, my life's short. I'm a spirit come from God, and I'm returning to God. I'm just hovering over the great gulf till a few mo moments from now, I'll be no more seen. I'll drop into an unchangeable eternity. Are you with me? I'm a spirit. I came from God and I'm returning to God. My life's very short. And in just a moment, I'll be where I'm going to be forever. And I want to know one thing, says John. I want to know one thing. I want to know the way to heaven. I want to know how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach me the way. And for this very reason, he came from heaven. And he's written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. That's a good quote right there. Oh, give me that book. We have so many of these in our house, don't we? And on our phone, we have all the translations for free. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. Here it is. Knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. Y'all who know me, you, you, you who know me and are sick of hearing me rant, you know the rant. Pastor Tim says it so many times, right? Stop sending me links to podcasts and YouTube videos. Stop it. Send me a Bible verse that impacted you. You're making my pastor heart sad when you send me stuff that isn't Bible. I don't mean always, only, but could we get the proportion correct? Like nine to one. Give me nine Bible verses for every link to some human. I want to be a man of one book, and I want a people who eat this book as their daily bread, not secondhand McDonald's spirituality through a podcast. Eat this book. You have the Holy Spirit. You're more qualified than the best preachers in the world to hear what God has to say to you. Way more. Plus, I trust the discernment of a regular old church about 500 times more than I trust anyone who walks around claiming to be a prophet. 
I'm just telling you what I believe. I would bring a Bob Hazlitt prophetic word to y'all to test that word because you have more authority to test it than he has to give it. Can we nod to that? Give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. Here it is, knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. He wrote this in Latin, by the way. Homo unius libri. You don't need to know that. Here then I am. He says, this is how I do it. Here then I am, far from the busy ways of men. I sit down alone. Only God is here. And in his presence, I open and I read his book for this goal, to find the way to heaven. Do you know what he means, by the way? He means how to live here on earth so that when I step across the line into eternity, I'm still in the presence of the one I was in moments before on earth. I was right with God. I'm still right with God. So here I am, far from the busy ways of man. I sit down alone. Only God is here. In his presence, I open and I read his book for this goal to find the way to heaven. Is there a doubt concerning the meaning of what I read? Does anything appear dark or intricate? Well, then I lift up my heart to the Father of lights. Lord, is this not your word? If any man lacks wisdom, you said, let him ask God and you will give generously without finding fault. Lord, you have said, if anyone is willing to do your will, he will know. I am willing. Notice that. You're you're not a theologian unless you pray. And it's not a prayer unless you surrender. If anyone is willing to do your will, you'll make yourself known. That's what he says. He's quoting God to God. And then I read The other passage, he says, when when it's a hard verse, when I don't understand or when I'm struggling with it. Then I read the other passages that relate to the same topic and I compare spiritual things with spiritual things. And then I meditate thereon. You know what that means, right? I think about it real hard. It doesn't mean sit in the lotus position and say, om, with your fingers like that. Om. That's fine. You can do that if that helps you. But that's not what he means. I think about it real hard. I I meditate thereon with all the attention and earnestness of which my mind is capable. And if any doubt still remains, I consult those who are experienced in the things of God. He has spiritual people in his life. Hey, Carl, what does this mean? Hey, Linda, Rusty, what does this mean? Right? How have you read this? How do you understand this? What what do you know about this? And then, I love this because I just said If any doubt remains, I consult those who are experienced in the things of God. And then the writings, whereby being dead, yet they speak. Oh, John's like me. Hey, Pastor Tim, you should read this. Is he dead? No, not yet. I'm kidding. I'm exaggerating, okay? I will read people's books who are alive. But I tend to trust the dead people more. Have you ever just been walking down the street and shook your head and <laughs> the living? You should, because we're a pretentious lot, much more sure of our perspective than we ought to be. The ones in heaven, they're pretty sure, and they're actually right. The ones on earth, oh my word, confidently walking into the wall and off the cliff, the living. And then he says, 
what I learn in this way by what? By locking myself alone with just God in his presence, reading his book, praying to him, surrendering to him. When I'm confused, looking at the other passages, asking my spiritually minded friends and reading the writings of the church fathers. Once I'm done with all this, whatever I learn through this method, that is what I preach. That's what I preach. Hey, Tim, where'd you get that idea? The Bible. Where'd you get the idea that when Jesus died, it was not because the Father killed him? Acts! It changed my whole theology because I grew up in a denomination where the preachers would... Well, I grew up in a... In a what's the word? In a, a, a river, a stream, where what was preached was Jesus saves you from the Father by murdering his son so that his anger problem is dealt with. That's not what Acts says. Peter stands up and says, you killed him, God raised him. You killed him, God raised him. Where, Tim, where'd you get the idea? Where'd you get the idea, Tim? Uh, that Christians ought not call themselves sinners every single day. But rather, we should come over in our identity and now identify as saints. Imperfect. Still got a long way to grow. But we're wrong to call ourselves sinners. Where'd you get that? Doesn't Paul say, I'm the chief of sinners? He does. And then the next breath, the thing he says is not sins he's currently in, but what he did before he met Jesus. Used to do this, used to do this, used to do this, used to do this. Not doing this currently every day. Where'd you get that idea? Romans. Where'd you get the idea that Christians are dead to sin and alive to God? Romans. They didn't teach me it at school, or they probably tried. <laughs> they probably tried. Can you be a man of one book, a woman of one book? Can you carve out time daily and don't tell me that you're going to feel like when you feel like it? When you feel like it is basically like saying you're, gonna lose, you're trying to lose weight. We've been over this. Trying is stupid. Training works. Trying doesn't. I'm going to pray when I feel like it. We're just going to see what happens. I've got relationship. I'm not legalistic. Listen, it's not legalistic to be disciplined. Grace trains us to be holy and say no to sin. What do you think a disciple means? The word disciple has the same root for discipline in the word. Come follow me. I'm your rabbi. I will train you. I will be the master. You will be the apprentice. You will completely reorient your entire life around knowing, obeying, and following me daily. And we go... But we're under grace, Jesus, so we're not going to do it that way. That's why your life is terrible, because you don't. If you don't surrender to the Lord and live in the fear of the Lord, being afraid to offend God and joy to your heart to bring a smile to his face, I question whether you got saved yet at all. Right? That's a little harsh, Tim. Yeah, I know, I know, I get worked up. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> next, next little chunk. 2 Timothy 4. We're just sort of continuing. My little timer says 6 minutes and 46, 45, 44, 43. Watch this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna really get it. <laughs> what if I pulled a muscle doing that? Would you laugh at me or with me? 
A little bit of both, buddy. I remember before I was ordained, licensed, charged with this sacred responsibility that I'm doing right now at this very moment, I remember the text that I was troubled by, challenged by, and it was this text, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read it to you. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Notice how he piles up. I solemnly, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, he's talking about his return, and his kingdom, which is coming soon and eternal. And it's all that matters. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Everyone in our city will bow or they will burn. This gospel is not a suggestion or a recommendation. It is the truth. It is the revealing of the eternal situation that faces every soul. Paul doesn't say one word to Timothy about circumstances as the foundation. Everything he says is true for everyone, everywhere. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? Well, Tim, that's, that's, that, that's harsh. No, I'm not angry right now. I'm saying people matter. And what we do with God determines our eternal destiny. And, and Paul looks Timothy in the face and he says... Look at me, boy. Look at this gospel. Look at God. Look at Jesus, Messiah, soon coming to judge the living and the dead and bring his kingdom forever. And I want you to keep that in the front of your mind. And with that looming in your mind as the only thing, I want you to hear me say this very clear. Proclaim God's word. Not your opinion, not your feelings, not your latest theory or trend, not what people are capable of appreciating, not what will work. What God says, even if they don't receive it, even if they reject it, even if they kill you. Jesus warns us, he says, because of me, children are going to hand parents over to death, children, parents, children to death, people will hate you because of me. How you guys doing? He says, why to preach? Because of God. Because of the truth. Because of the historical truth of what, we, what has happened and what will happen. That's the, that's the why. How, he says, how to preach. Notice this, this, this urgency on him. This is not, like my buddy, I'm not going to say a name right now because I'm about to say something a little bit like, a friend of mine said, 
people don't really want sermons anymore. In this next generation, sermons are not going to be that relevant. What's going to be relevant, preachers are, going to, are not going to be important. What's going to be important is like just, our, our, just this, just a guide on the side, not a sage on the stage, but a guide on the side. And I go, I hear you, actually. Like, nobody's going to care what you think until they know that you care, right? And, and discipling is in life. It's life on life. It's heart on heart. It's friendship. It's community. Like, y'all do it better to each other than somebody, one person could do it to everyone. The one another is a scripture. The 55 one another's of the New Testament, they require friendship, community. I hear what you're saying, buddy, but I'm going to preach the word and when I'm dead, 200 years from now, if Jesus is not yet returned, somebody's going to be preaching the word. Somebody's going to be faithful. Spirit of God's going to raise up somebody to do the thing that the prognosticating generational experts say can't work in this generation. It's not a conversation. It's not a suggestion. It's not a round table. Your opinion doesn't matter. The word preach means to announce and when a great military victory would be won, the general or the emperor would send heralds to announce the victory. They weren't, they weren't making recommendations. They were declaring the facts. Preaching is heralding. It's not recommending or suggesting. This is the truth. The end, the, the period, this is the truth. Jesus is Lord. Christ is risen. Christ will return. The, these are truths to herald. Are we good? Well, look at that. Ten, nine. Eight, seven. I like abrupt endings. <laughs>